0: Alright, so we're in 2 Corinthians today. Again, we continue our Bible reading plan. If you're like me, you've gotten behind a lot. And you read a bunch, and then you get on track, and then you read a bunch again. It's to, have to be the same thing over and So, if that's you, I'm with you. So um, we hope that you've been taking time to go through... Last week covered First Corinthians and he did a lot of the introduction of what was going on in Corinth at that time. And we will be reflecting on some of that, but not in the same way that we did the introduction of it. So I encourage you to listen to that sermon online if you haven't already. Let's pray. Thank you so much for sending your son into this world to save us from our sins. To make us citizens of heaven. Children of light. New creation. Father, I pray that you would help us to live according to the values of heaven. The values of your kingdom. And not according to the values of this world, the values of America. I hope us to be people that have our allegiance upon you. That have hearts that are built by King Jesus, and I ask that you would change our hearts. That you would change me. That we live according to the new realm in christ so teach us today in this letter written many many years ago teach us uh, help us to, to see it for what it is and help us to apply learning to apply in our own lives in jesus name amen so first yeah. so corinthians at least in my view it's a little bit more fresh than Second Corinthians does. But I believe that this letter's message is profound, and I think it's eminently practical for us as a local church, and for us as a church in America. One of the reasons Second Corinthians is not as well known is First Corinthians is full of spicy details of all that's going on in the local church. There and a lot of descriptions of what's happening in Paul's um, call to them in many ways to repent of various things and various sins. And 2 Corinthians is a bit more focused on, on Paul himself and him as an apostle. But what we find is that many of the main Corinthian problems are still there in this letter. In this letter, naturally written later... Now we find out that there are other people, other leaders, other apostles, other voices that have entered the church and that are destabilizing the message and ministry of Paul, the apostle. And so the primary concern of this letter is for Paul to defend his authority, to defend his legitimacy as an apostle, as a sent one messenger of God. And... To defend, in a sense, the spiritual power and authority of the gospel that he himself preached. And so, the reason I think that this letter is so important to us right now is because we too, like the Corinthians, are prone to being affected and even by authorities and messages that are contrary to the gospel. And one of the reasons we know this is by the fruit. Is by the attitudes and actions that false authorities, that false messages produce in the people that believe them. Before we get into what the Corinthians were believing, I want us to see Paul's concern, his, his heart, his care for the people of Corinth and for the kinds of people that they might be becoming. Who they actually were in practice. We become what we worship, it's been said. We become what we pay attention to. We are formed by what we actually believe. And the Corinthians were believing things that were false. And false authorities and false messages produce sin in the people that believe them. And so before we get to exactly what they're believing, I want us to see Paul's concern that he cares for them. And that at the end of the letter, we see that Paul was concerned that the Corinthian church would be angry, would be polarized, kingdom, to so apply it now that they would act more as citizens of America than citizens of heaven. And so let's look at the end of the letter, 2 Corinthians 19 to 21. Excuse me, 2 Corinthians 12, 19 to 21. I've been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you. It's in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, My God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they practice. And so some of these sins that he is concerned that he will find there, let's look at them. In verse 20, quarreling, he's concerned that they are being a people that are formed by a readiness to fight— One Commentary put it. That they would be people that were jealous, dark red with resentment. That they would be a community that would have anger and outbursts of wrath, as the New King James version puts it. That they would be hostile people, full of hostility. The definition of that, interestingly, is different than what I would think. It's selfish ambition. It's looking out for number one they would be people of slander, having personal insults, speaking evil of someone else. They would be gossiping, whispering info about someone that is harmful. That they would be a conceited people, inflated, puffed up, and a version of oneself thinking better than you are. And that they would have disorders. This is a picture of defying authority, rebellious, insurrection, unrest. Does any of this sound familiar? Does past Corinth sound in any way like modern America? And sadly, does it even sound at times like the church? So I couldn't help but think are there any messengers, any voices, even political voices? Even people that we listen to, even, even Christian pastoral voices, any messengers in your life that are that you're listening to that are forming, that are cultivating these kinds of attitudes within you, within me, within our hearts. And I don't mean the voices you don't like, I mean the ones you like, the ones you might agree with. What kind of people are you becoming? By listening to particular messengers, voices, authorities. Is it the kind that produce the things that Paul mentions first in verse 20? It might also be the kinds mentioned at the end in verse 21 of impurity. What is that? That's moral impurity. The idea of ritualistic cleanliness and uncleanliness. Sexual immorality, which is the word pornea which is linked up, obviously, with our word pornography. Basically, all forms of sex outside of marriage, and marriage between a man and a woman. It also has the implications of things like prostitution, and that culture, temple worship. Sensuality. This is—sometimes when I think of sensuality, I think of something like be watching a movie— and it's not just a full on sex scene, but it's more of a sensual scene. You kind of think of it as, well, that was kind of a sensual scene, but it wasn't full on sexual immorality. Actually, sensuality is more of a wallowing. Eugene Peterson put it this way in the message an indecency in which they wallow. The New Living Translation put an eagerness for lustful pleasure. So it's an insolent, in-your-face, extreme sexual abandon, a flaunting, no moral restraint. Does that characterize anything in the voices we may be listening to? And so in our culture, we live in a very secular culture, we view self as primary, we view politics as religion, it views sex as one of the only ways in which we can now access transcendence, also by the thing, drugs. But all those sinful behaviors would be temptations. And by all of them, I don't just mean the sexual ones, I mean all of the ones before that. The hostility, the conceit, the disorder, the slander. And our culture is in a crisis of authority and power. There's this idea of who do we trust, who can we trust. There's so much disinformation and misinformation We don't know what authority to believe. And we invent spiritualities that seem powerful to the individual self. The idea of my truth. My truth for me, your truth for you. You just kind of attach Jesus or Buddhism or attach whatever it is that you want. But Paul in this letter contrasts true authority and power from false authority and power. From hyper-spiritual versions of it. His passion is to see Jesus, is to see Christ formed in the community and the way of Christ's heart formed in the church and not in the values, in the ways of living that were according to Corinthian wisdom and power. And so for Paul, the Christian message is just not one option to believe or kind of an option that's separate from what actually happens in practice, but it's this all-encompassing belief that actually creates a new person, that creates a new creation, that lives by a different realm than the realm around us. And we see that in 2 Corinthians 5. We see that in the middle of this letter. And I'm going to read it from a slightly different translation, the New English Bible, because I like the way that this frames. And sometimes when we hear things slightly differently, it can um, cause light bulbs to go on, which is helping me. This is what Paul says here. With this fear of the Lord before our eyes, we address our appeal to men. To God, our lives lie open, as I hope they also lie open to you in your heart of hearts. This is not another attempt to recommend ourselves to you, but rather giving you a chance to show yourselves proud of us, and you will have something to say to those whose pride is all an outward show and not an inward worth. It may be we are beside ourselves, but it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ leaves us no choice. When once we have reached the conclusion that one man died for all, and therefore all mankind has died, his purpose in dying for all was that men, while still in life, should cease to live for themselves, and should live for him who for their sake died and was raised to life. With us, therefore, worldly standards have ceased to count in our estimate of any man. Even if once they counted in our understanding of Christ, they do so now no longer. When anyone is united to Christ, there is a new world. The old order is gone, and a new order has already begun. From first to last, this has been the work of God. Some translations have, or it says new world, new creation. But sometimes I think of this as a new world. This unification to Christ is a absolutely revolutionary way of thinking. that transforms everything. And so this is Paul's passion, to see the people of Corinth not walking in and believing the values of the surrounding worldly standards, but committed to the new creation, the new way of being in the person of Christ. But the problem in Corinth is that the saints, the Christians, were forgetting who they were. Other leaders, false apostles, what Paul calls them, had come in to offer a different message and a different way of living. And their claims to authority and spiritual power was alluring. It was attractive. It was what everybody else was adopting. Around them in Corinth, but Paul saw it as another Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. He says this in Second Corinthians eleven three to five. If someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. And he kind of goes on. But the point is, he saw that there were men and apostles, so called, in the church that were offering another Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. So this is utterly false. This is just like a different idea, it is a false belief. And what's interesting as you read this letter, you find that it wasn't just the content of what they were saying that was false. Sometimes in a church like ours, we're focused on doctrine, truth. We can forget that also Paul is focused on the way of life. And Paul is also focused on the way this gospel is being presented to the church and to the watching world. Was this false gospel? What was the way in which these apostles were living and were giving their message that was so utterly abominable to Paul? What are the examples of it? You know, we can sometimes be prone to twist the truth or preach the gospel or teach something in a way that is actually wrong. It could even be that the content of what is being said might be true. But the way in which it is presented is meant to um, create in us a way that is sinful and to bring an attitude that is wrong. I thought one example of this was in something that Tucker Carlson did recently. Um, He put up a graph where he talked about the percentage of Americans that identify as Christians. And some of the idea of it was to show we are seeing a decline of Christianity in Western culture which is true. But he put up this graph where he had 77% of Christians at some point and then 65% of Christians now. But the graph was illustrated there to make it look like it was more than half.